It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Steve Waterhouse, founder and president of Predictive Results and author of a book called The Team Selling Solution, Creating and Managing Teams That Win with the Complex Sale. Now, we're going to talk about hiring salespeople today because identifying and hiring sales candidates who can become top performers is really a tough challenge. I mean, actually, hiring anyone into any position is a challenge, but the problem with hiring salespeople is that hiring managers are prisoners of their own habits and biases that can cloud their judgment. Really what they need through this process are data and insights about the candidates and the position that they're trying to fill that help them make better choices. And they also need some data and insights about themselves, maybe to help themselves become better managers and create an environment that increases the chances for everyone to succeed. So my guest today, Steve Waterhouse, has developed and utilized a series of assessment tools that help managers hire the best people. And he's here to share with us how we do that today. So Steve, welcome to you. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, you really nailed it with, uh, uh, with the problem. We not only have a difficult time finding good people because they're just hard to find, but we have a difficult time finding people because we all already think we know what works. And um, <laughs> we know statistically uh, we're wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, know that we think we know what's best, even though we know that we don't do a very good job at it in general. So, well, before we dive into that, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I actually started out as an engineer um, working for Raytheon of the Patriot Missile years ago. And had they used a tool like the tool uh, that we use now, uh, they probably never would have hired me for that job. Um, I, I then moved into technical sales and kind of found my niche and went into sales and sales consulting for many, many years. And that's where I ran across the predictive index tool, which is the, the tool we use, mm-hmm. uh, helping our clients. I, as a, as a consultant and as a speaker, very much like the, some of the work that you do, I found that some of the people that were sitting in front of me in these uh, training programs were never going to use any of the things I was teaching them. They were the wrong people in the wrong audience. And, uh, and now, looking back, uh, I understand why, and now we know what to do to fix it. So it was kind of interesting all, all those years recognizing there was an, an issue out there, but not really knowing what to do about it. Well, you, you raised an interesting point in your comments. You said, gosh, if they had used some of these assessment tools when they hired me, I would never have gotten the job in the first place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I would make that same statement about when I got into sales because I certainly don't fit the mold, or at that time didn't fit the mold for what a salesperson no, you- was perceived to be. So <laughs> would, I, would I not have been hired? I mean, what does it say about the assessment tools? Well, here's what it says, and I, and I have your assessment. You were kind enough to, to take it. Uh-oh. And when I look at when I, when I look at your <laughs> when I look at your assessment, I wouldn't hire you as a salesperson. Now, w- that said, I would absolutely hire you as a sales consultant. And there's a big difference between the two. Most salespeople survive on confidence. Confidence, drive, uh, lack of patience. Uh, those are the things that make good salespeople succeed. But what they don't tend to have is process, repeatability, organization. Those are the things we have to manage into them one way or the other. But as a sales consultant, you bring naturally that order piece to the game. 
you are a person who does sweat the small stuff. You do look at the process. You do try to make sure we've got something that is repeatable. And so while that isn't natural for a sales person, it's absolutely natural for a sales consultant. And who in a company looks most like a consultant? Well, in many cases, the managers. So, you know, we, we always joke that, uh, you know, when you promote your best salesperson to be a manager, you've lost your best salesperson and created your worst manager. And in most cases, that's absolutely true. But if you know what a manager looks like, if you know what a consultant looks like, you can pick out the right one and put them in the right spot. So I would say for you, you found your spot. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. So let's talk about hiring the best. So that's really what the theme I want to get to is because everybody talks about you know, what the best performers do and you know, what differentiates the best from the, the rest. So what is the best? I mean, so we know what the impact of hiring the best is, right? I mean, if you compare the average performance of your top performers versus your bottom performers, let's say the top 20% versus the bottom 20%, the delta between them is the ROI and in your investment in good hiring yeah. practices. So, so what, what is the best? Well, we start right there. We start by going into many organizations and analyzing their top 20% uh, and compare it with their bottom 20% and compare their sales results with their uh, behavioral assessment, with their predictive index results. It is not uncommon to find an organization that has a 500% differential between their top and their bottom. And when I ask the sales manager how many of the people that are in that bottom 20%, uh, when they hired them, how many of them did they intend on having in the bottom 25, uh, 20%, they you know, all sheepishly laugh because they didn't intend on having any of them down there. And so it's clear that management has no clue what makes the difference between the top and the bottom. And that's because we know that uh, the, the differences are subtle but they're measurable. And when we look at an organization, we can figure out because of the analysis we do, and this is the engineer piece of me coming back, I get to use it eventually, <laughs> uh, what it makes the difference. So when somebody says, what does a salesperson look like? Um, there are a variety of different types and it really depends on the job. If there are lots of leads, that's one thing. If a lot of repeat customers, that changes the profile a little bit. If there's a lot of hunting and cold calling, that changes the profile a little bit. So there are different versions of salespeople um, that survive and thrive in different kinds of environments. And we actually have a way of profiling that so the company knows what the DNA of a top performer for them looks like. Yeah, and I think that that maybe just as a starting point too is for most hiring managers that you know, as you said, they don't intend to hire people that don't succeed. But as, oh. I, as I talked about in the open, is is they've got their their biases built in, they've got habits built in that really blind them to to what good people are, right? Oh, I had a I had a sales ma manager tell me one time that. Um, he actually pointed to a, a, a shelf that he had, and on that shelf he had about seven or eight different cans of different color Play-Doh. And he said, I tell candidates to go over and pick one can of Play-Doh. And he said, by the color they pick, I know whether they're going to be successful or not. Well, <laughs> well, I I can tell you that uh, from from analyzing the people he had hired that he needed some work on that process. Yeah, uh, and it goes deeper than that. I mean, I, I, for so many managers, it's like 
they really don't dig into the person's background, the person's requirements, the person's uh, no. not requirements, the person's skills, what they did in their previous job. They they take so many things as an article of faith that they see on a resume. I mean, it's, it's well, a they, superficial interview. This is the one that, to me, it seems like that first barrier that, that as we talk about today, the, the steps people need to go through to hire the best is first, they just got to get rid of the process they use now. Yeah, and I think you have to decide that the biggest part of hiring is to is to inoculate yourself against people who shouldn't have the job. And so, unfortunately, most people spend most of that first interview trying to sell the candidate on why the company and the job is so great. Uh, that's not the purpose of the first interview. The purpose of the first interview is to find out whether you should even bother doing that. And so be asking questions and finding out, you know, looking for weak spots. You know what makes someone successful in your job. Even if you've got their behavioral profile in front of you, even if they're a good match, you know the kinds of things that someone has to do in your business to be good. So, for instance, you know, doing a lot of cold calling. And you can ask questions like, tell me about a time when you had no business and you had to go create it. Um, you know, ask them to, to show you how they did it. You'll find company, you know, salespeople who've been very successful at companies, then move to another company and fall flat on their face. And while they had great success in one place, they fail miserably at the next. And the reason is the environment changed, the leads changed, the client changed. And, and consequently, that person, while they look like a, quote, great salesperson, they weren't a great salesperson in that new environment. And that's what's so critical for us to understand and so for, so critical for us to get in the interview. Right. So one of the things that you recommend, which I think is a great, a great idea, is to set up a requirement, what you call a requirements team. So you get people from multiple departments within the company that interact with sales, including sales obviously itself. And that these people contribute to the definition of what the job really is and what's required to be successful in it. No question. And what's interesting is to balance that. So um, an organization might decide that one of the things we need to do is, is get uh, new clients, book new ones. Another part of the department, uh, an organization might say, we want to make sure that their contracts and paperwork are accurate. Another group might want to say, say that we need to keep our clients and hold on to them long term. Well, there's a balance there that needs to be reached. But once you get all of those things on paper, you have an idea of what starts to make things work in your organization. Uh, for instance, we had one uh, organization where their top two salespeople were what they wanted to model. And so we looked at those people and we looked at their uh, their sales and I went back to the to the uh, CEO and I said, do you realize that while these two people have the highest annual sales, they have the lowest lifetime customer value? In other words, they can pack people into a deal, but people can't wait to get out of it. And so we shouldn't model that. We need to model something different. Those two people, those two salespeople were fired <laughs> or politely released for a more appropriate opportunity. And they went on to be highly successful at other places, but they weren't a fit in that particular organization. Yeah, something that's so, more transactional versus just yes, a, a long-term yeah. long engagement. So you you identify sort of three areas where you need to create, uh, you call it inventories, really, of skills, yeah. knowledge inventory, sort of behavior inventory 
So why don't you talk about creating these inventories, how this requirements team goes through and creates this inventory to, to come up with a job description that really fits for the environment that you're you're in. Well, sure. They, you know, there's several pieces of it. One is the the skills inventory. Do you know how to do what is required to do this job? Whether it be prospecting, whether it be presenting, whether it be uh, the, the uh, putting together proposals, the skill pieces of the sales part. And then, do you know what we do? Do you know our industry? Do you know what you need to know to uh, to be able to converse with the client at the level the client needs to be talked to? For instance, some organizations require a lot of CEO level uh, conversation. Well, that's a very different kind of conversation from one that is much more technical. When I got started in sales, it was all about the engineering, understanding what makes a semiconductor work. I can tell you that no CEO cares about that. Um, so putting together that inventory of those particular uh, pieces that someone has to have. And then now we add to that, you know, looking at, do they have the ability to uh, adapt or do, do they have the cognitive skill to be able to think fast on their feet, to be able to make the kinds of decisions that are required uh, in the middle of a sales process to actually do it? So that's, you, those are behavioral characteristics you're talking about. So you use an assessment tool for that or recommend it, actually, please. Yeah, we actually use two. They're both part of the predictive index suite. We use one that is uh, a behavioral assessment. Um, that's the one you did. And it basically tells us what motivates a person. So you might have someone who, for instance, you're going into a pharmaceutical sales job who really understands biology perfectly, but isn't motivated to do the things that are required to be successful. So we all know people who are really, really bright and really, really big failures. (laughs) And we we know people who are not all that bright and very successful. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, it's because they were naturally motivated to take the kind of action that it took to be successful in that job. And that's what we look at in the behavioral side. Um, You, for instance, are very proactive. You're a person that does not need to be told what to do. You know where you're going. You have confidence in your ideas. um, And you you don't need someone to tell you to get up in the morning. No. No, that is a, a natural part of who you are. I often say to managers, hire the piece you don't want to have to manage. And, and, and that's, for me, when I'm looking at salespeople, I want people who have that natural drive. I don't want to have to chase people out of bed in the morning. I don't want to, I don't want to have to talk them into to, uh, to doing that. I will manage their attention to detail. I have no problem with that. I have staff that can help them with that. But I'd rather have them go out and get a few contracts that weren't perfect then sit around thinking about making it perfect and not take any action. So we look at the at what they're naturally motivated to do, and, and that's key. And then we look on the flip side of that. We have uh, what we call a learning indicator, which is a cognitive tool. And that tells us how fast people assimilate new knowledge and make decisions with it. How quickly do they think on their feet? How quickly do they learn new things? And especially in complex uh, sales, it's very important to have a high LI score. So, given that having the ability to LI is learning index, learning and learning index. Yep, having that ability to 
uh, have, have make those decisions quickly, assume that uh, that knowledge that they have to, and then motivated to do something with it. Put those two pieces together. Now you've got magic. That's okay. what drives. Okay, excellent. Well, good. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back now. And- and when we come back, we'll talk about how do you find these best candidates and then how do you interview them, how do you screen them, interviewing, make sure you get the right people into the company. With my guest today, Steve Waterhouse. And I said, we'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. Talking today with Steve Waterhouse about how to hire the best sales candidates. We just went through discussion about how you define the role and related to your environment, um, one thing I didn't really touch on is how do we how do we relate the job description back to the customer's requirements, right? Because you know our customers have a requirement to yeah. quickly gather information and make decisions, you know, complex decisions, and and they're trying to do it in a shorter period of time. As all the research into customer buying, buying behavior is showing, so how do you, how do you tie the customer's requirements into the job description? Well, that all becomes part of that uh, that inventory I didn't mention earlier that, that you add to that, which is what is the customer looking for? What do they want? Do they need somebody that can just help them make a decision or do they need someone that can hold their hand long term? Um, in my particular business, in the in the behavioral assessment business, our client stays with us an average of 10 years. And so we have to have people that can stay with them and work with them for a long period of time. The customer has a requirement that that we can we have people who can sit with their executive team and help them do strategic thinking. That's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And so being able to understand that whether your customer is looking for someone who is more strategic or someone who is more tactical, and sometimes both. I mean, that's that's why we talk about hunters and farmers, where some, some organizations have, have a hunter uh, profile to go out and find the deal, and then they bring behind them a more customer service oriented type of salesperson. Right. Customer success. Sure. And the, the beauty of that is you get the best of both. You don't try to pound one into the other. Um, and we find many organizations have great success by, by optimizing to each and using two different people. Um, that, can work, that can work wonders, for, uh, especially for organizations trying to have rapid growth. Right. So just to summarize, that first part is you're going to develop your inventories of the skills the candidate needs, the knowledge they need, behaviors they need, and also what your customers require from you in terms of what they need from you in order to be able to make that decision quickly. So now we move on to how do we find these candidates? We have to find the job. <laughs> uh, I thought you had sort of an interesting and logical approach to that is, is so when you talk about putting together a job posting or an ad or you know any sort of description about the role, is you sort of advocate instead of talking about the skills and knowledge required, talk about the behaviors that are, that are really required with the thought that people are more likely to sort of self-disqualify if they see specific behaviors versus certain skills and knowledge. That's so true, Andy. What I, what I love to have is an ad that makes people think, wow, that was written for me. And for instance, if we know we're looking for a hunter, you might say, 
looking for a sort of self-confident, outgoing individual to drive our business results. If you're looking for a more customer-focused person, you might say team-oriented individual to work with our wonderful clients over time to develop, to develop lasting relationships. Those two opening sentences will attract very different styles of people. Now, you'll get some overlap, certainly, but if you look at the bell curve of respondents to those two uh, ads, you'll discover that each gets you closer to either a hunter or a farmer style. And that's the key. Once you know what you're looking for, you can put the right words in the ad that makes it resonate with that individual. And that's what we want to do. We actually don't care that some people look at that ad and say, well, that's not for me. The truth is, it's not for them. Let them move on. You want the, the people you want to apply need to be close to that behavioral model that you're looking for. Now, later in the ad, you can start talking about skills and those kinds of things. And that can, that'll again, help qualify people out. But in some cases, I've had many clients who say, if I can get somebody who's really close from the behavioral standpoint and, and smart or whoever you know, has, has what I need from those pieces, I'll train them. So I don't want them to disqualify themselves on knowledge. Um, so again, it's up to the hiring manager to decide whether they want to put too many qualifiers in the ad, but definitely open with something that attracts the kind of person that you want in your organization from a behavioral standpoint. Yeah. And I think the, the key thing for people to remember is listening to this is that behaviors are ingrained, right? So as you said, skills and knowledge are really trainable, really hard to shape behaviors, uh, Virtually core, impossible. Core, core behavior. So what you're saying is when we want to put our posting out there and you know, behavior is a critical part of our job description, then we put the job listing out there. If we lead with these behaviors that, again, maybe we're less likely to get sort of this influx of, of responses <laughs> because maybe people are a little more uh, pragmatic, perhaps you might say, when they look at descriptions that really talk about behaviors, right? Yeah, they are. And, and it's, it's interesting if you watch ads on television and, and anywhere else, you'll notice that different kinds of ads have a different feel to them. Some of them resonate with you and some don't. And that's because they're written this way. The person, the, the, the companies know what their ideal customer looks like. And that's really what you're looking for. You're advertising for a person. And, and in that ad, you need to know what that customer looks like. And in that case, the customer is the potential salesperson. Well, I think you, you have a key point, though, that you raised is, is you're advertising for a person. That's, that's the correlation of behaviors, right? In your jobs, yeah. you're really – and think about this when you're a hiring manager. You're hiring a person, not a basket full of skills and knowledge. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the, the, the basket full of skills and knowledge is nice to have, and once in a while you, gotta, you have to have a couple of them in your back room to pull out when you need them. But the truth is you need people who function well right. um, and people who play well with your clients people who can make things happen the way you need them to happen in your organization and who do it effortlessly day after day. Okay. So now we've identified candidates or identified a pool of candidates. We've got some responses. And the first step is we're going to do some screening interviews. And you recommend a sort of first step for screening is to use an assessment tool like your predictive index. But you know, for people listening, there's other assessment tools out there. Sure. But use an assessment as this initial screening. 
We do, and we recommend using an assessment tool that is predictive of workplace behavior. There's a lot of assessment tools out there. Most of them do not statistically map to workplace behavior. You want to do that for two reasons. Number one, it's it works, uh, and the others don't. And number two, the EEOC requires that as one of the requirements for a pre-hire tool. Uh, we actually uh, connect our assessments to the, uh, the application process. So most of our clients, if you go online and fill out an application, you will take the assessment right there as you fill out the application. It'll be the last step in the process. So when they're looking at your resume, they're also looking at your behavioral profile and they're comparing the resume with that list of requirements and they're comparing the behavioral profile with the ideal profile or what we call the job target that we've put together. So they know whether you have, you have a good fit or not before they even go to the first interview. Yeah, very interesting. And is, is there a danger of too much reliance on assessments in that, that case? I mean, substituting assessments for your own judgment, or are we just assuming that the assessments are always going to be more objective? Well, we, we, know, we know a couple of things. Number one, we know the, uh, the uh, assessments are more accurate than the hiring manager. Otherwise, you wouldn't have that 500% differential in a hiring in a sales organization that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. um, so it, there's nothing wrong with using them as a pre-screen. Now, some people say, Don't, doesn't that disqualify some people who might be good candidates? And the answer is yes. But if you use the assessment, I use the analogy that, that you've got two groups of people, one that fits the assessment and the other doesn't. In the group that does, you might have 80 winners and 20 losers. In the other group, you might have 20 winners and 80 losers. Which group do you want to work with? And so it, what it does is it sets you up with a population that is predisposed to have a high probability of success in your organization. Right. So the over-under is more acceptable using it than if not. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so you you go through a screening process using an assessment, which I think is a great way to do it, because I think that screening interviews are so ineffective for the most part. Because what are they really trying to screen out, right? So here's something yeah. that you, you actually have a set of data that you can use to help you just on a baseline. You said you don't know these people from Adam, but you're making an assessment in terms of, uh, without using the word assessment too many times, is you're making your own assessment in terms of how you want to invest your time. And as a hiring manager, right, you can't afford to invest a ton of time interviewing candidates that at the end of the day don't work out. So yeah, you need to you need to you need to really triage your time well and this really helps you focus it. And then do a good job of interviewing when you actually do it. The nice thing is the assessment will tell you what the fits and gaps are. So it'll tell you where to spend your time digging into potential areas of uh, of conflict. Right. And I like the the term that you use is you use the term gap interviewing. So you've gone through in step one, we talked about you've defined these inventories of skills, knowledge, behaviors, and customer requirements that the candidates need to have. You've done your screening with your assessment. So suddenly you've been able to identify areas where you think there are gaps between what your requirements are and where the people are. And so, as you said, dig into those gaps. That's where you interview. Those are the questions you ask. Yeah, that's where you want to live. That's that's where you want to spend your time. And the truth is, you can often dig into those gaps in a phone interview and in 15, 20 minutes decide whether that uh, candidate is worthy of moving forward or not. So we do, we always do that. We always do a phone interview first. We dig into a couple of the things that we think might be potential uh, liabilities. 
if we overcome those liabilities in the phone interview, then we'll often move on to a live interview. So uh, we've used a you know a good process to articulate what we're looking for. We've now got some data. We then have a pre-interview that digs into the, uh, the, the, the gaps that are obvious, and then we go deeper. Right. So, and the important thing, again, for people listening that I would stress here is that the beauty of this idea of gap interviewing is that throw away your standard interview questions, right? It means that every interview you're doing is really customized. Yes. So you have to, you have to bring some thought and deliberate, <laughs> deliberate thought to this whole process of interviewing someone because every interview is going to be different. And yeah, and the so, nice thing is the nice thing is uh, you know tools like the predictive index will even give you a list of suggested questions based on the fits and gaps of that individual. So they'll even give you a place to start there. Okay, well that's a great a great tool to have for managers because again, who are always concerned about oh my gosh, do I have to ask the strengths and weaknesses or you know blah 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 question that everybody's heard and that the candidates are practiced to answer is if you're really going to focus on on the gaps, then I guarantee the candidates don't have practiced answers for that. So true. Okay. So true. So the last part I'd add, ask about that though is is so how do you from let's say from the skills and knowledge perspective, how do you recommend people actually test the candidates to make sure they have those skills and those knowledge? I mean, it's one thing to ask questions, but you know, a good portion of of the reason why managers hire people that don't perform is they don't really get into this idea of really understanding whether they do possess the skills and knowledge they claim they do. I mean, I, I always test, right? Somebody says part of the job is uh, making presentations. You know, when we interview candidates with working with the client, they're going to give presentations on the spot, right? Or I, if, they, if they claim that yeah. they are, you know, proficient in a certain application, well, we're going to sit in front of a computer and find out whether they are or not. Um, well, how, and, how do you and, recommend that? Well, first of all, the, the biggest problem that most managers have is that they tend to be natural optimists. So they believe that if, so if the person put it down on the resume, it's true. Um, I'm looking at your uh, pattern. You tend to be much more of a realist. You tend to be much more of let me validate that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really how I want managers to think. Don't take it at face value that the person says they've, they, they have this, this particular skill. At, find out. You know, not only have them demonstrate it where possible, and and I think the presentation idea is a wonderful one. I often have them, if there's technical knowledge they have to know, I have them meet with my technical people, have them go out to lunch with them, have them ask some questions, find out whether whether my my technical people are happy with what they know, and then ask them what we call behavioral interviewing questions. Tell me about a time when or tell me about this, or if you had to answer this question, how would you answer it? So put them through the kind of situation that a client would put them through, see whether in fact they can stand up to the kind of rigor that they're going to have to stand up to, you know, a week from now when they're out in front of a client. Yeah, no, absolutely. So to me, testing is an integral part of that. And the more formal you can make it, like on a technical side, if you know you're going to be, you have technical requirements and you've got people coming in, you know, have a technical test that they take as along with the assessment, for instance. It doesn't have to be in-depth, but ask the questions that are going to really surface to you where some of the gaps might be in terms of their knowledge and skills that, that they talk about. All right. And then the last point you brought up earlier, and I just before I move on to the last thing in the show, I just want to reinforce this because I think it's it's so key, is as a hiring manager, don't start selling the job to the candidate until you're completely satisfied that 
these gaps are closed. Because you know, once you turn into the sales mode, you basically are making a decision in yourself that this person's acceptable. And yeah. you know, you need to you need to really work the process before you fall in love with the person. And you know, as I like to say, is you know, an interview is no place for trust. And so you yes. really need to validate everything that they say. And once you turn around the turn the tables and you start selling, you're starting to suspend, you know, your sort of disbelief and your your inquisitiveness about this candidate. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think one one of the problems people have, especially with uh, people who are very relationship oriented, and think of most sales managers who actually are very relationship oriented, is that you fall in love with a candidate, and then you then, then you start to have doubts, and now you're balancing these doubts with this fact that wow, I've talked this person into it, and now I've got to talk them out of it. You know, that, <laughs> it that shouldn't be a conversation that you should be having in your head. No, um, you know, and you and the only reason it's in your head is you you went there in the wrong order. So you've got it exactly right, but obviously you've you've played this game before <laughs> a little bit, a few times. So all right, so we're gonna move into the last segment of the show. I've got some questions to ask all my guests, and the, and the first one is is uh, sort of a hypothetical scenario, not sort of a hypothetical scenario. It is a hypothetical scenario. You're the star of the show here. Is that you've just been hired as a new sales manager or a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out and they're stuck, and they really want to get unstuck in a hurry. So, in your first week on the job, what two things could you do that would have the biggest impact? Well, I think the the, the thing you have to figure out quickly is what's what causes success in the organization and how can we make more of it happen and whether it is getting more referrals or whether whether it is making more calls or whether it is um, it is upselling there there is something that makes that is the primary motivator of success that's not happening right now and you need to go fix that piece first don't try to re-engineer everything unlock that piece that can unlock more business than anything else. Okay. Great answer. I like it. All right. So I've got some rapid fire questions for you. You can give me one word answers. You can elaborate if you wish. So the first one is when you, Steve, are out selling, what's your most powerful sales asset? The client. They're finding out what their need is always tells me where to go. So in your organization, what's one tool you use for managing sales that you can't live without? Oh, I think it, in our case, it is the, uh, the predictive index. It's understanding the behavioral style of my own people and then knowing how to motivate them based on understanding them. So it's not just hiring them. It's using the same information as part of our lifelong relationship with each other. Yeah, and I think that whole topic is could be a second a second interview we do at some point in the future yeah. about using it internally, using a predictive index tools internally. Um, who's your sales role model? Uh, my sales role model is my dad. Um, my dad was an insurance agent uh, who took great care of his clients. Um, and uh, one of his one of my favorite sayings is, "You you don't have the right to sell the client any less than your best." And that's been something that has been our model in the way we built our business. And, and I hear dad's voice in my back of my head all the time. I love it. Love it. Besides your own, what's one book every salesperson should read? Oh, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Great book. Um, going all the way back to, <laughs> to that one. It is, I think, almost every other sales book written since then it was based on it. 
Yeah, excellent book. All right, here's a tough question. What music's on your playlist now? Oh, I'm I'm all over the place. I've I've got classical music. I I've got um, probably the music I play the loudest is the Beach Boys. Uh, maybe that's because <laughs> I drive a Corvette. Nice, I like it. <laughs> and uh, um, and then I, I listen to a lot of, of easy jazz in the office because it kind of puts me in the mood. It keeps the it keeps the the um, momentum up at the same time. It's not overly distracting. Excellent. Okay. Well, great. Well, last question for you. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Oh, how do I get more leads? And the answer is: do a better job with your existing clients and ask them for referrals. Very succinct. I love it. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. My guest today has been Steve Waterhouse. Steve, how can people find out more about Predictive Results and yourself? Well, great. Uh, Andy, thank you. They can go to PredictiveResults.com or they can email me at Steve at PredictiveResults.com. And by the way, we're happy to let any of your listeners take a demonstration of our assessments. Uh, no charge. Uh, it's uh, something we do all the time. It's a great way for people to see what uh, what we really do. So feel free to reach out to us. And uh, we'll make that happen. Great. Well, thank you very much. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And it's actually, well, we're starting to raise your learning index. And one easy way to do that is to make this show accelerate a part of your daily routine. You can listen first thing in the morning, on your commute, in the gym, or make it a part of your morning sales huddle. But then you'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Steve Waterhouse who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.